I am Felicia Kahn Gable, and I am a member of the Oral History Committee for the Austin History Center Association. Today is January 22nd, 2019, and I am honored to interview Mrs. Margaret Wright here at the Austin History Center. Our recorder and transcriber is Miss Lori Duran. She introduced me to Mrs. Wright at the Skylark Club on Airport Boulevard before one of her performances. Thank you so much for being with us here today. May I call you Margaret? Of course. Thank you for inviting me. I'm thrilled. Happy. Can you tell us when and where you were born? I was born in Austin, Texas at the original Holy Cross Hospital. And it's located on East 11th Street in Austin, Texas. My birth date is February 21st, 1942. And as an amateur genealogist, I'll ask you to tell us what you know about your grandparents so the researcher may someday joyfully find the information here at the Austin History Center. Well, my grandparents are Ruth Hood Hill and Cornelius Hill. They had one daughter, my mother, Geneva Hill, excuse me, Geneva Margaret Hill Pearson. And of course, that's where I got the Margaret name from. And my grandparents, my grandmama was, uh, she stayed at home. She was a stay-at-home grandma. And my grandfather, my heart, was employed as a porter at the Kappa Kappa Gamma Sorority House for many, 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 many years. My mother was a beautician at the Hausman Beauty Shop out in Brackwoods. And so um, I, have one I had one sister, Elizabeth Cornelia, who was named for my grandpa, uh, Pearson Harris, Elizabeth Carnelia Pearson Harris. Um, she was born July 17, 1937. Four years and eight months later, I can't. <laughs> and we all lived together at 2409 East 12th Street. That was the, our home which is, of course, no longer there. Um, I have bittersweet memories of that place because that's where we were so well taken care of, provided for by my grandpa and my mom. My grandmother was at home. She took care of all of our needs at home. And while well, my mom and grandpa worked, we went to Rosewood Elementary School, which is no longer, and Keeling Junior High. It's fortunately it's still there, and the original Elsie Anderson High School. Um, I'm gonna stop you there and go back and, and dig, dig a little deeper into those different pieces. Dig a little deeper uh -huh. in those pieces. So, what for example, Bryker Woods, 
What, it's at Hyde Park area, pretty much. Hyde Park area. Yeah, off of West 38th. Um, and did she drive over there or take a took bus, or bus? Bus, yeah. Mm -hmm. She had, had to take a bus. Mm -hmm. And, um, of course, my grandpa drove. So he drove, and my grandma, the only thing she really did, the only place she would go was to church, and the only place we all would go, really, outside the home was to church and every once in a while to see a movie if it was something that we wanted to see. And what movie theater? Uh, the theater. Old Harlem Theater and it's not there either um, anymore. Uh, all of the places we went were very vital and very warm, friendly and it was a, a really wonderful community. Uh, we had little individual grocery stores in different sections of East Austin. And <clears throat> we had the Doris Miller Auditorium where all of the activities that we attended uh, were held. And that's where we could go to the park, Rosewood Park to play and to swim and to do all the fun things that we wanted to do. We didn't get to go very often because we started out in music. My mother, Geneva, was the musician for our church, Simpson United Methodist Church. And it was a little church in the basement located on Leona. It's still there. It's a big, nice big church now. But it was um, established many, 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 many years ago. So my mom, grandmother, sister, and I attended church a lot, all the time. So she played for the choir, one of the choirs at the church. And of course, Liz's mother, grandmother, and I were choir members. Um, so every Friday, we could look forward to going to choir practice. We didn't have very much of um, an active childhood as far as a lot of playing and going to activities like many kids because we were always involved with music in some fashion. By that I mean, I was the singer and Liz, I called her Tutta, was the pianist. So we performed all pretty much everywhere we were asked to. And that, by that I mean, we were not just limited to East Austin. Wherever anybody wanted me to sing and Liz to play, we were there. And my grandpa would take us, or they would send somebody for us. Um, we're still members, my husband and I, are still members of Simpson United Methodist Church. That's my husband, Joe Wright. <laughs> so we have one daughter, Jolie Lawan Wright, and she is um, a graduate of Gremlin State University in Louisiana. And she's an accountant with the state of Texas. So we're very proud of her. Our family's very small because I am the last of our original family. And Joe is the last of his original family, which consisted of 
nine children. There were only two children in my family and nine in his. And he is the last survivor of his brothers and sisters, and I'm the only survivor of mine. Of course, there's only one Jolie, so we just have a very, very small family. Our families were all in East Austin, but every area of East Austin had their own little segment of grocery stores and cleaners and um, various places of need, like uh, floral shops, um, Let's see, there was Alf's story. Oh, Alf's story um, is about a floral shop and a garage. A it's pretty much like a service station. Did you say Alf's Alf? A-L-F. Mm -hmm. The Alf story is there was a family, like Stark Grocery Store. They had sto little stores on Rosewood and one on the corner of Chicago and East 19th Street at that time. And just, they were, they were a family that had grocery stores in each little segment of East Austin, so we wouldn't have to go very far to get our groceries. And then my grandpa on Fridays would buy a bunch of groceries at the Slaughter grocery store, which was on uh, 19th Street, close to the university area, because that's where he worked there at the Kappa Kappa Gamma Sorority House. So that's what he would do, you know, all of our really basic needs he would bring them. But we all had little grocery stores where we could run and get our little treats and things on the way home from school. And if we were worthy, you know, we'd have a little change to spend. And we could go to the, not very far away from our home. Our communities were very, very safe. Everybody took care of everybody. Um, pretty much, I remember never ever hearing a lot about things that weren't kind. That was just the way we were reared. I believe my sister and I had less of a childhood because of our not being able to play a lot and do a lot of fun things, except go to school, go to church and entertain. And of course, as my mother <coughs> stopped playing, Liz, my sister Elizabeth, took over playing for the choir. And of course, I was still singing. And I was really kind of jealous because I wanted to play the piano like she did. And so they had enrolled her in private lessons with Miss Mary Elizabeth Lewis, whose home is still located on East 12th Street. And she went to music lessons every Saturday morning. And so they would let me go with her. And I tried to play the piano. And I never could get it just right. I've always wanted to do things my way. So she would help me practice so that I could get it right on Saturdays. I got there and I got it somewhat close enough to not be first that. But anyway, she was really elegant in her piano playing. And she majored in music at Houston Tillotson College. And I majored in, started majoring in music and, and was told no, <laughs> I wasn't gonna do it right. So 
I majored in elementary education and minored in music. So I, that's why now when I play, I enjoy it very much because I'm getting to do it the way I wanted to do it, not realizing the importance of following the directions. <laughs> Didn't like practicing, still don't, but I will if I must learn something new. But I think music comes from the soul and in the inner, my inner self, my, my inner self, it enters through people. You know, people have a huge impact on the way you perform. And I always um, want to make them feel comfortable, wanted, appreciated, because that's the way they pretty much treated me. And of course there were some negatives, but I mean, who wants to live with all those old thoughts? You know, I know they're there and they're here and they probably will be after I'm gone, but I don't want to focus on that because I want to enjoy my life. I want to enjoy my music. I want to enjoy my family and I want to enjoy my friends. And I've made many through the years. I um, started playing for many, many churches, even though we were members of Simpson, they always exposed us to all kinds of religious, whatever it was. It didn't matter if it was a Catholic church, a Methodist, or whatever, Baptist. We always participated in community activities. So it really wasn't just, we were not limited to where we performed. And we even did a little segment on um, Cactus Pryor's show. And that was the beginning of our experience with television. So we performed for Cactus and enjoyed that a lot. So that spread out a little bit more. That got us, we just kept going and kept going until finally as we grew up, I started, when I finished, Houston Tillerson, I started teaching. I graduated from Anderson in 1960, by the way. And then I enrolled in Houston Tillerson, and my grandpa and mother provided our resources and finances to go there. Graduating in 1964, I was employed by the El Campo Consolidated School District. Back then, you had to go get some experience before you were hired in Austin. They wanted you with experience, at least that's what they said. Uh, I don't know how many others had to do that, but I, that was my explanation. So I went on to El Campo, taught there, and then after I taught there a year and a half, well then I was accepted into the Austin Independent School District at Blackshire Elementary as a reading teacher. In El Campo, I taught fifth grade, which I enjoyed so much. And then I got a chance to come to Austin, home, back home to teach. Of course, I married um, June 20th, 1964, before I started my first job in El Campo. 
Then now on, on and on and on, I've just taught at various schools. Um, there's so many, I can't remember them all, but it was Blackshire First. That was the first school I taught at in Austin, and friendly Rudolph Rice gave us the opportunity to teach. And of course, we started in Chapter 1, Title 1 Reading. And I taught there until 1967. And that particular year, they had what they call the crossover. They sent African-American teachers to the other areas of Austin to be a first, which I don't really consider myself a first of anything. I wasn't the firstborn of my parents. And so I said, I haven't ever been the first, but I was the only African-American teacher there. Six beautiful years at Walnut Creek Elementary. And then I um, went on to Norman Elementary. And the reason I transferred there was because our daughter was born in 1971. And so I wanted to be near her and not leave her so early in the mornings. And Joe was employed with the J.R. Reed Music Company, which it is no longer in existence. So I wanted to be near her in Walnut Creek. I would have had to drive so far away. So I transferred to Norman, and I stayed there a number of years. And I don't know how many, but a lot. <laughs> you know, not a long, long time. Anyways, from Norman, I believe I was sent to Rosedale, and no, I didn't, no, I didn't fit there. I did not need to be there, so I requested a transfer, um, and I started teaching at Rosewood, my alma mater, where I went to elementary school, and I went back to teaching reading, and I taught there a number of years, and then they closed Rosewood. And we all moved down to Oak Springs Elementary. Stayed there until 19, from night, I can't remember when they closed Rosewood, but I went to Oak Springs and stayed there until 1988. And from Oak Springs, I went to Maynard School District and enjoyed it very, very much. I taught second grade, and then I came back to Austin, and I taught at Ridgetop Elementary School until 1995. After that, I retired because my sister was ill, and I retired so I could take care of her. And after she passed away, I was just hanging out doing very little. So I was called back to Maynard, so I went back and I taught there again. So, and I've been back and forth. I've taught at Barbara Jordan since then. Um, and, and also, uh, Texas Preparatory School. That's the last one I've been to, and that was this past year for a part-time music teacher. And now I am just hanging out, taking care of my husband and enjoying it making a big move to Elgin, Texas, to live with our daughter. And so we're selling our home, which we've lived in for 40 years. 
and moving on because she really wants us to stay together. So that's sweet. It was, it's really sweet of her to want to do that. And she's the best daughter. It's ideal. She's not married, no children. She's got puppies. <laughs> so we don't have, that's it, our family of three. A fam well, a family of four. Don't want to forget Millie. The dog. The dog. Well, we, we don't really call that, but you know, <laughs> we don't call her that. She's, she just can't talk. <laughs> she does everything else, like, pretty much like a human, but uh, that's our baby. So you have been the most wonderful interviewee because you've told us your whole life story without any prompting. And <laughs> well, I, I skipped to some things, but you know, it's a lot of stuff. Well, I did want to say when you talked about Blackshear, I just um, helped interview Vonnie Rice Gardner mm, for Please mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And so that's an interesting coincidence. Did you know her? Oh, I, of course. I'd known Vonnie since she was a little girl. Yes. She, she lived on East 7th. Still, I believe she still lives there. She's moved up to Cedar Park. Oh, wow, I didn't know. Yeah. That was a fun family. He was so much fun. The thing I really must say about Friendly Rice was he would give you an opportunity to teach. He was not, hes he didn't hesitate. In fact, he called me Pearson. My maiden name. It was never Margaret Wright to him. It was Pearson, do this, Pearson, do that. And you did it, you know. But he was so good for giving us an opportunity when there were some that really were as eager to have us. In East Austin, um, maybe they were. I just didn't have that feel of being wanted. But Wanted by AISD, you mean? Well, well, I knew I wasn't wanted by AISD by them not letting, allowing us to teach out of right after college. I knew that that was that was obvious because if you have to leave home or leave Austin to get a job and get some experience before you can come back to where you grew up, you were born. Why? Well, I, I mean, if you've got everything you need, you've got all the credentials, you've got all. We had everything and more to be able. And of course, my sister taught in Austin too, but her, I believe she taught at a lot of little schools, you know, where they needed music. She taught at St. John's and um, out south, I can't remember the name of that school, and out in Montopolis, where they, you know, they would come those the colored schools, you know. And so she had a cab that would take her to each of her schools, and then before she, got a permanent job here, she had to go to Pecos, Texas, and she taught there before she could, and then she taught in Colleen, Texas. Finally, she got to go to Wynn Elementary, and that's where she retired from, Wynn Elementary. So she had to teach in Pecos before AISD hired her? Mm, yeah, that's pretty much the way it was. You just, you know, that's, that's the way I recall it being. Now, I'm sure there are others who remember more or less, or maybe I'm incorrect on some things, 
but I'm close enough. <laughs> I'm close enough to what I remember, you know? So. Do you have any more memories of Friendly Rice? If we want to go deeper. Yes. Um, he, he was really a fun principal. He would come to school and just enter anybody's classroom and just start kind of teaching. And he, I remember one thing he told the children. Um, I was, since I was just a remedial reading teacher, I was in there with the classroom teacher. And he would tell the boys and girls, he said, you know, if you don't eat your breakfast and your lunch, you're gonna get all the good hot food you need here. Your diet is important. He said, if you don't have a good hot meal at school, you're not getting well fed. So he always made sure every child, everybody who went to that school, he wasn't afraid. He was not afraid to ask for what he wanted for those children. He said, diet means you will die if your diet isn't good. So I was not, that stayed in my mind, you know. You don't have a good diet, you don't eat your food, eat your breakfast, be in time to get breakfast. They always had good food, wonderful cooks. The school was always perfectly clean. And because it wasn't the fact that we feared him, we respected him. And that was the way most of the children in our community, most of them in our culture, were reared to be respectful. And you could get in a lot of trouble. You know, I could if I didn't, because they didn't have a problem telling about, telling on you if you did something that was not, of course you know I did stuff. I really did stuff. My sister was really sweet, but I was kind of, no, <laughs> you know. What did you do? Well, well, at Christmas time, I would. I remember one time I reached up into um, a chest of drawers to see if something was in there for me, and I got stuck by something. And I remember I don't know what it was, but I felt a prick, and I had to jump back. Put my foot in a window one time. They kept telling me not to put your foot in the window because, you know, we had those heavy steel windows. Keep your foot out of the window, Margaret. And I kept putting my foot in there, in bed, just sleeping and putting my foot in there. And it was slammed down on that, of course. That was a bloody mess. But grandmother healed that. And I would um, take my sister's dolls. Um, she liked shelf dolls and they were pretty, and I would destroy them. They got me an Amos and Andy doll. Her name was Amos Sandra, and I kind of destroyed her too. So I was, I was not just a really nice kid because I was um, sibling rivalry, as they call it. Um, she was a nice child, and I was not. That nice. I was okay. I was. You could tolerate me. And so, one of the members of our church, Bill Madkins, said, "Well, you weren't bad. You were just busy." <laughs> so I was bad busy, I guess. 
And if I wasn't busy, there were three things they gave me, things they told me to do. Go somewhere, sit down, and be quiet. Now, <laughs> and as I think back on that, I think that's three commands that it's just hard to do. Go somewhere. They didn't say where, just go somewhere. <laughs> Sit down and be quiet. But they meant, you know, within the proximity of the home. But we had a neighbor who always welcomed me, and she was a stay-at-home wife. Although just about all of our women um, in, their, in our neighborhood on our street, they were at-home wives. They were, the husbands were farmers and what have you. And I would go over there, and I would visit Miss Madison all the time and sit and watch her sew. and watch her fix food, and then I would go back home, and then mother, grandmother, we called her mother, mom, we called baby, and of course Liz, I called Tutu, and grandpa was Popsy. So we all, everybody, of course everybody had a name other than their given name, except Margaret, I was the only one they just called Margaret, you know. I guess there wasn't one that they could say, <clears throat> respectfully, <laughs> with, so they can think of one to call me, so they just, Margaret. But that was Tutu, Elizabeth's sister, baby was mum, and mother was grandma, and grandpa was Popsy. I'd like to hear more about, um, well, first I want to say you may have heard some giggling off camera, and this is Miss Kimberly Keaton. Is it Miss Pretty? Hi. Who is the Austin History Center African American Community Archivist and Librarian? And oh, she wow. may have some questions too. But I wanted to hear more about your neighbors, and because I always try to feel, imagine what it was like in the past. You know, what were the trees like? Were they smaller? Were there more birds? Was there less? There was just more everything. We just thought it was just fantastic. The yards, the lawns, the homes. This, we of course for a long time, you know, we didn't have paved streets. But that was okay. We didn't care about that. We didn't think anything about it. You know, cause it was cool with us because we, you know, we had we had a home, we had a house, and we never thought about going without. Um, the yards were always. Beautiful, manic well manicured. Popsy would come home after work if the yard, if the grass needed cutting, he would do that. Uh, if something needed to be done, we had our, the plumbers our, in our neighborhood. We had plumbers. We had electricians. We had people that would come in and we did. We had wallpaper, you know, back then. And if something needed to be redone, they would come and do that. So we had the little Maurice grocery store on the corner of Singleton and East 12th Street. And um, I don't recall when it was, well, it was moved when urban renewal came through and everybody on our side of East 12th Street was moved from Chestnut to Hargrave. We had the incinerator in our community, and an incinerator is where the city brought all the garbage 
and burned it. And of course, we found a use for everything. All the ashes, and those black, big black ashes would fall into the, our yards. And our, my grandmother always had a garden. The ladies next door always had gardens. And those ashes were used for helping the vegetables grow. So we had lots of good homemade food from those ashes that fell on the vegetables and fruits that they grew. We didn't have fruit trees. Miss Madison on, on the corner next door to us had all kinds of fruit trees. And we had vegetables in our yard and everybody had chicken coops. <laughs> so we had our food for, um, with that, uh, with all that, all, all the stuff we did not have. We had good, wholesome food. There was home cooked food. And I today say, if you can smell it cooking, it's good food. And if you enter a place, enter some, if I go to some of the schools now, there's nothing cooking because it's already brought in. No odor, no fragrance, no, hmm, I want some. They used to bake every, all the bread, all the rolls, all the food was cooked in the cafeteria. And you know we had good food at Blackshire because Friendly Rice wasn't gonna have it any other way. But they had good food in our schools. Excellent cooks, clean facilities, um, everything was, I'd say, wonderful. If I had to compare it to today's children's upbringing and in school and their experiences, I would rather, they wouldn't, they wouldn't believe, I don't, they couldn't function. <laughs> they wouldn't be able to function because everybody pretty much, to my knowledge, took care of their families and everybody helped each other. If you were in need, we all came together and helped. And there were times when um, I needed a dress made. Miss Madison next door was a very good seamstress and I could just get material. We had this guy would come by and selling, you know, all those merchandise and my grandmother would allow us to get a bolt of material and I would take it to Miss Madison and draw the dress I wanted and she would make it. Because I've always loved art, I still love art. And my very favorite part of art in school was finger painting because you know, I was not a really neat girl either. I was kind of messy. So if you dip your fingers in <laughs> some paint, you can make what you want on your picture. You can uh, mess it up, but you can fix it up. That's another part of music I like. If y'all mess up, I can make, I can, I can fix it, you know? And so I experienced uh, a lot of, um, of uh, messing up, and I also get the chance to fix it up. If I play something, it's not quite right in sign, doesn't come through here to me in, in my heart and in my mind, well, I'll go back and I'll play it again. Mm, those keys fit. And I don't know how to classify that, but I just know I like playing. 
And I was told that, no, you don't need to do that. You just need to sing. You don't need to play. So I just said, okay, I'll just do both. <laughs> so. so before we go on to your um, music career, let me ask you this. When you were um, going to different churches, you and your sister going to different churches to perform? Oh, yes. Were you known as? Elizabeth and Margaret Pearson. And did, did you get a stipend for that that helped to? No. The, no, ma'am. It was all volunteer? No, ma'am. <laughs> we didn't get paid at church. I think when they did start paying us to play at church, it was $5 a week, something like that. I don't It wasn't anything. It was, it was something, but, you know, for the majority of our time playing for churches together, we weren't paid. And then when we got older, of course, we may have gotten a little money, but not like they do today. So, and so another question, we were talking about the community in East Austin and everybody took care of each other and all, but I heard in the interview with Miss um, um, Rice Gardner that there was a place called Hungry Hill, I think? Well, yes it is. So I believe it's out there by, it's Norman Elementary School. Yeah, yeah. It's so there the, were parts of East Austin where people were had more difficulties? Oh, yeah, yeah, there, I'm sure, yeah, there were. Um, I mean, we just had a mixture of, um, I don't want to say the haves and have not, because all of us had, you know, just pretty much what we need, needed, or we could always find a way they worked and provided for their families, but it wasn't always, maybe not in, been the best of everything, but it was good enough for us. We ate a lot of vegetables, a lot of beans, and we still do because um, it's healthy. It, I mean, we did, and we didn't have to take a lot of medicine. I remember we did have to take cod liver oil all the time, and mother would always pin a little bit of acidity under our t undershirts, under our clothes, and that kept the colds away. Mm -hmm. Right, this little aspidity was, it was a little chocolate-looking square, and it, I mean, all of the medicines that worked, that were useful, that nobody had put their hand into, uh, worked. I don't think we had any additives and preservatives and stuff in our medicines back then. That was another question I had when at the Austin History Center or anywhere when I look at pictures of young people from the past, even from the 1950s, 60s, 70s when I was in school, basically everybody was slender. And now when you go to schools, there's a lot of kids who are not. And what would you what are your thoughts about that? They were slender mm -hmm. because we didn't have, we, we weren't doing this. <laughs> we weren't doing, we weren't, like I was, I said earlier, we were chatting in the other room and I said, my daughter sent me a, a cute little message um, and she said, do you remember, no, do any of you remember this? And it had a library 
where the little drawers that you had to pull out to find the card, mm -hmm. find the book, get the card, and all that. I told her, yes, because everybody that went to the library could think. We didn't thumb. We, there was no thumbing. You had to think. And that's the same thing in like using the typewriter. You had to look down, you had to, you had to use your skills. You developed them, they helped you develop them, maybe not in a really pretty way. And oh, honey, sweetheart, baby, sugar, darling, mm -mm, Margaret. <laughs> it was Margaret, no. And they had no problem reprimanding you if you did not do it the correct way. Um, I understand um, via the media that they're going back to cursive writing and are some, some places, I don't know about here, but they certainly need, there are many needs for survival that our children are not getting because the focus is not on education in my mind. What is the focus on? It's I really don't know because I'm, I'm, the, my daughter wasn't, she, thank God, she didn't, she, she came along at just the right time because she had, she was taught pretty much the way we were. Of course, there were alterations, you know, the things were upgraded and kind of, you know, nicer, but she had to, we made sure, I didn't, she never went to school where I taught because I didn't want to interfere with her education. And I wanted her to be free as her child to be in school and not have to worry about what mama's gonna see and say. But anyway, uh, anyways, the things that the children are not getting, I think, for survival. To be able to write a thank you note, or able to write a letter, and to me, that shows appreciation. It's important. You can just put it on the computer, and everybody gets a thank you. Everybody gets an invite. Everybody gets this. Everybody gets that. And it's, it's, we don't have time anymore. We don't have the time because everybody's got to work uh, to take care of their families. And that's why there's a difference, children. Just, it's not their fault, but testing. And I did a lot of that because I was still teaching. And so much of it just was not, I mean, it was not even fun. It was funny to the kids, you know, because, why, Miss Wright, why do we have to do that? I said, I don't know. <laughs> they just said, you have to take this test, that test, and this test, and that test. And we didn't have, um, like I said, it's, it has not gotten better because without, as far as food, education, living standards, all of these things, it's just too much. And it's too much for the children. They're not children anymore. And I think they were, I was skinny. We all, we were slender and we had little waistlines, we had little, Crinoline's lips under our dresses and stuff, and we had our socks, and of course, you know, we couldn't wear pants. 
And if we wore them on a really cold day, we'd take them off when we got to school. And we were slender because we played outside. We were on swings. My grandpa built us a swing for each of us. And we did rock school. We had steps we had to climb in the backyard. Couldn't play in the front yard because we had a pretty grass was. So we had to play in the backyard. We had, and we ran a lot. We had physical education at school. And I mean, it was physical education. It was not. Um, anything that was relays, it was, you were running for a purpose, you know, not just, we're just going to do exercises, and God knows, you know, children was, need to exercise. Was that true in high school, too? Oh, yes, ma'am. As far as girls? Yes, that was required. Classes? Yes, yes. We had to, we had, we had, there were things we had to do, and that was take P.E., home economics, they had auto mechanics, they had um, uh, retail selling. Um, oh, it was, it, I can't say enough. I wish I had brought one of my yearbooks, my, the, the yearbook. Of Elsie Anderson. Yes, of Elsie Anderson. So you could see, and it's everybody there meant business, and <laughs> they did not play. They did not play. You took your classes, you went to class, you, if you weren't there, they called your mother. And even at Houston Tillotson, we, I was in the college choir for a while, and I didn't go to a religion class because I was just tired. And I was at home, and a Dr. Perkins, who was my religion teacher, called my home. And my grandmother told him, said, well, she's here. She was just tired. We'd been on a choir trip. Um, so we, it was just, it, we were not foot loose and fancy free. We were not. We had a good time. But it was, it was safe fun. We were safe. Do you remember school dances? Oh, yes. We had school dances, and they were for special occasions. Um, maybe, like maybe Valentine's, something like that. But we didn't have a lot. And that only started in middle school. We didn't have them in elementary school. But in high school, we, you know, we had our prom, junior, senior prom. And we had a, oh, maybe, a group would have, a certain group would have um, something, a function like that, but we didn't have a lot of dances. We had a little place on East 11 called Teen Canteen, where the youth could go. Of course, we didn't get to go, but you could go there on Saturdays. They had a little skating rink on 11th Street. 11th Street was vibrant. and. I didn't frequent it often, um, but we had great restaurants. Even had a car, um, auto, uh, auto dealership there on 11th and Navasota. Service stations, deluxe hotel, doctors, Dr. Young, who, where Young um, Hillside 
drugstore was. You could get any and everything you needed. If you were sick or well, you know, you could get all your medicines there. It's now Hillside Restaurant or something. I don't know what it is, but anyways, that was, and I think that family still owns that place, but it's of course something else, and it's a restaurant. And going through my yearbook and looking at the advertisements in there, my mind just goes back. East 6th Street was vibrant. Um, so how did East 6th Street compare to East 11th Street? I know 6th Street was a big wide street for east-west mm -hmm. traffic historically, mm -hmm. but as far as businesses and things Well, yeah, it was, six, they were similar. You had barber shops and beauty shops and cafes and clothing stores and it's pretty much the same. You know, you had um, on this side of my, what did they call it, East Avenue then, mm -hmm. East Avenue. On this side, we really had pretty much everything we, we needed. And it was available to us, whether it was brought in secondhand or used or whatever, we still had it and we were satisfied with it. We made the best out of it. And I think we just made too good. And so Urban Renewal decided, well, we better go over there and take that away because in 1966 is my recollection of when they forced us out. And I remember my grandmother crying about that because my grandpa on a porter salary was able to purchase three homes. He was Two our provider. Which you rented or three homes that you lived in one after another? I was only in one. He purchased three. Um, and like I said, my mom never, my grandmother never worked. But he was able to purchase three homes, one after the other. And what streets were those on? What years? Streets. One was on Singleton. I'm not sure whether, oh, the first one was in South Austin, because some of our relatives lived in South Austin. Oh, I'd and, like to hear about your relatives, too. Right, those were my grandmother's and grandfather's people. So at sisters and brothers lived out there. My grandfather came near from Fort Worth, so all of his, he only had brothers, no sisters. So he came here, I'm not sure when, but they migrated to South Austin because that's where my grandparents' people lived. So South Austin today is huge. Oh, So yeah. when you say South Austin, yeah. what do you some of Some of our relatives lived out there had homes there. And we would go out there, we had parties and things, and we could, Popsy would drive us out there, and then sometimes they, they would come over to our house, and that was the way we got together. Do you remember what, what part of South Austin would you call that today? What streets are? West Annie, I remember Newton. Oh, okay. I remember Newton, West Annie, uh, Lavo. Um, I remember those three, and my grandmother's brother and his wife were custodians for the theater that's on the corner of Congress and Libel. Mm -hmm. I can't remember the name of it. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was, it was kind of, it was fun. It, it was really exciting because going out there was exciting for us because, you know, we didn't go, we were there in East Austin all the time. And whenever we were going out to Uncle Isom's, we were having a good time because we knew we were going to have fun and they were all excellent cooks. And so we had fun, good food, good drinks, and just a joyous life, pretty much. So you were saying your grandfather was able to buy three houses on his porter's salary, and you were talking about the urban renewal and your grandmother crying. Oh, well, I'm sure that's how it was because my mom was just a, she was a musician, and he insisted that she go and to, um, let's see, Miss Christian, a lady by the name of, can't think of her first name, had a beauty school on East 11th Street. And he insisted that she go there and get her cosmetology license. And she did, and then she became a licensed beautician and she was working for Hausman's Beauty Shop on Brackowitz, and I was telling you about this where she worked, you know? And she was no longer just a shampoo girl, she was a technician. Do you have, do you know what street that was on, Hausman's? First it was downtown, and then she moved out on, mm, it's where, do you know where, <clears throat> on Jefferson, mm -hmm. I believe that's the name the Jefferson Building is. There's a shopping, little shopping center right there. And 35th. I believe it was on Jefferson Street. Mm. Yeah. It was on the, it was within a little shopping center uh, surrounded by Jefferson, 38th and a half, and there were three streets there, um, but the Jefferson Building is right, it's across the street from where Hausman's Beauty Shop was. Okay. Um, so back to the urban renewal topic that you mm -hmm. started, you said the houses were taken out from Walnut mm -hmm. to what they, 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 were, they were forced to move because the city, I'm assuming, you see, in, I, I'm really not certain how they organized that. I'm trying to, for the lack of a better word to use, I don't know how they organized uh, the situation where we should be removed, displaced uh, from that area. But it was not only our street, but it was Rosewood, where the, the Witte Center is. Oh, it was, I, as far as I know, oh, I should have told you to turn it off, but it didn't. Anyways, um, I cannot recall just how it all happened because they didn't, you know, they, they kept a lot of things from us. If it was ugly, they tried to avoid discussing it with us. And anyway, in 1966, I was already married and teaching away from, you know, before I came back to teach. And 
Rosewood Park, Doris Mill is still there, and it's not used for the intent. You can hardly use it for anything uh, anymore. And if you do use it for something, they put, we used it for everything. We had Easter pageants there, and now if you use it for anything, I don't know what, I don't go there anymore because the times that I have been there, they put plastic on the floor so you won't mess it up. I mean, it's just some, that's why I said it's, it's, it's existing still. Why is that necessary? You know, why do you have to put plastic? It's, it's a basketball court. They can redo it, you know. But that's where all of the black entertainers came to. And of course, they had to stay at the Deluxe Hotel or in somebody's home or Rambo's Motel or just where they could find because they couldn't stay downtown. That's where all of our dances were. And we knew about Tina Turner and Ray Charles and B.B. Um, King and everybody else that, um, were in, that were, he hired to come here to, for our entertainment because they came to Doris Middle. And of course, we danced on that floor. That's where we had our big dances and things. They have the woman's club over there that um, on Angelina, uh, Austin Federation, I think, a women's club. It's over there behind in the big, huge apartment complex. But he bought that house on his poor salary. Now, any other details of how he got it, I'm sure the sorority loved him, and they nicknamed him Kappa Cornelius because he would he said he spent more time really out there um, taking care of those girls than he did almost at home. What was the job of a porter? The porter sorority? he took care of the yard. He took care of making sure all the girls had all their needs met. <clears throat> For example, luggage, taking in their luggage and going to the store and running the errands and, <coughs> excuse me, taking care of whatever they needed him to do. Uh, the porter, it's like he did custodial work. He, um, he did whatever they asked him to do. You did what you were told to do or asked to do, however they, you know, told to do is pretty much the way it goes. And he locked it up. At night, he was always there until the last girl came in. And if she was running a little late, of course, the house mother didn't know it, but he knew it. So he stayed around until everybody was there. Then he locked it up and he came home. So that meant he spent many, many nights late at the cafe house. Did you tell us what year he retired from that? I can't recall because Hard. he got sick. He developed a heart condition. Mm -hmm. But he died in 1984, and he died on Christmas Eve. He, he was born in 1898, December the 26th, and he died in 1984, December 24th. And my grandmother was still taking care of him. He lost his eyesight, he could not see, but he was very, very smart, brilliant. He knew a lot, he communicated a lot, he would pick up the telephone, he'd call anybody and ask them any question he had. 
but he was very tidy. He was very clean. He wanted, and mother was, a, like I said, a very good cook, and she made sure Cornelius had his meals on time. He liked to drink. He let, let us drink, too. You know, a little bit, he said, we, we, we love that. We like staying home with Popsy because we got to be, you know, feeling grown up and everything. He was just a good father because um, uh, he knew we needed that support. My mother needed that support. And he provided finances for us and a home for us. Now, how much help he got, I don't know. Um, but I know he never had to want for very much because they would always come by the house to check on him. And the they would sorority. say, the sorority, every Christmas, they would, all the girls would come and sing Christmas carols to him. And of course, a lot of the, um, chapter members would always come visit and see to it that all of his needs were met. So they took care of us all. So because he had taken care of them and they did not shove him aside. They didn't forget about him. They took care of him. And I never will forget 81691, 2001 University Avenue. We could always call Popsy. If anything we didn't like, we didn't, that wasn't right, we could always call Popsy. Was that a phone number you That was said? the phone number that we dialed. And we always had a telephone. 81691. 81691. I don't know if that's the same number today, but that was that number. And it's still, I'm 76 years old and it's in my mind. So let me ask you, he sounds like he was very special to that Oh, sport, he was my, that was, yes, I'm, extremely special. I'm guessing that every sorority and fraternity at UT had a porter. Oh, yes, oh, yes. Oh, I'm sure they did. often African-American mm -hmm. and lived mm -hmm. over in East Austin. Mm -hmm. Yeah, he chauffeured, you know, different to them to wherever they needed to go. I mean, he just did what he was told to ask to do and did it with a smile. He, he, enjoyed, he loved it. He thought it was fun, and the girls loved him. Um, it was evident that they cared about him, because when he got sick, we didn't, we weren't hungry, you know. We we never, we didn't get put outdoors or anything, and he, you know, still provided for him. So I think it, it it was a good. That's why I said we were not taught hate. And with respect, there's no place like if you respect you, and even teaching the little children, you know, they're telling a story and somebody was telling something and no, that's not the way it's but they have a right to tell their story the way they want to tell it. And when it's your turn, you tell your story the way and then they rethink, you know, let's just go back and revisit what you're doing you're not allowing them the opportunity to do what they want to do. And that's where, that's a little bit of that, this taking a little bit more respect into how you treat people. You know, you just don't come and take things away from them. So that's the bittersweet part of me that, it's hard, it's very difficult. It's very, very difficult. 
what's very difficult? It's very difficult to be displaced. So, I... I mean, it would seem to me that you would want... It would seem to me that you would want people to own homes and to be comfortable and to be happy. And it doesn't... And then you wonder about crime. And then you wonder about homelessness. I mean, I can think back and we didn't, we didn't know about all that. I mean, we had, the jails weren't full. You know, you didn't have to worry about going to jail because you weren't gonna do it. You, it, it was just, um, I don't know. I don't, I just, there's just so much that I don't, I get it, but I don't know how to give it to you, you know? Um, it was so different, and that's why I, my, my daughter has a problem with that racism stuff, you know? And I have a problem with it, but it doesn't make much difference to me anymore because I think, oh well, uh, forget it, you know. Everything has its place, and if you want to be that way, that's okay. I am not going to be because we were not taught to be that way. And I want to be happy with Margaret. And if it's in, if you, you know, if you don't want me, you don't like me, you don't, well, that's cool. That is ultra cool with me because, I mean, it kind of works both ways, you know? It works both ways. But you don't show that. You leave it alone because everybody's not going to like everybody. They're going to appreciate everybody. They're, it's just not going to always be all peaches and cream. Got to have some rough spots. You got to have some hills to climb. You got to, these, I hear them talk about journeys all the time. Well, that's a new one, you know, that's my journey, my journey, my journey. They just, some of them just don't know what a journey is, you know. Don't have, don't have a lot. Honey, a journey is a journey. <laughs> it's not like a six bell either, you know. It does create physical illness because we don't know what's happening within us because of the stresses and the struggles that people have. And that's why when I've entertained them, I don't know what they're going through. Maybe it'll be okay, but they may be going through, a, and I've had, I mean, some of them tell me, you know, I was in a place, certain place when I sat down and listened to you, and I just had so, such a feeling of calmness and, that's my, that's my, that's my journey, <laughs> my story. Not my journey, it's my story. So Not so much as um, treating people the way you want to be treated. You will be, I will be, I am. I'm, I'm good, I'm okay. Because I don't entertain for that reason. My mother had a quote that I loved, she said, be good to people, treat them right, because you may be entertaining angels unaware. How do I know who they are? I don't like labels. There, do you, did you play for uh, that, uh, I said, what do you mean? I entertain people. Not a certain class, not a certain culture, not a certain church, religious, secular, sacred. I, I don't like labels. 
because it, it's not a good feeling to be labeled, you know. And I think that kind of rubs shoulders with hate. And it just, you know, it's easy. It's easy to hate. It's easy to hate because it's maybe popular. But to me, it's not. It's very unpopular. I don't like that. Um, I don't. I try not to be that way. And if there's something that kind of, oh, of course, I get pretty upset. And so when it's something I, on my computer, for something on my laptop, and I do, I just, I mean, I block that out. I don't need that. I need some fun. You know, I need to have some joy in my life. I've lived a pretty good life. And I want these last days to be fun, you know? Even I loved my knee surgeon, you know, he would come by early in the morning and talk to me. And he said, well, you can go home tomorrow. I said, but I don't want to, do I have to? And he said, not if you don't want to. And I just love him, you know, because he knew how to talk to me. He knew how to make me feel like, it's okay, you're gonna be fine. And that was almost two years ago now. But that's what you must do. That's what we must learn. That's what we must teach. That's what we must show. That's what we must give. And it's going to get there. I may not be around when it happens. But, oh, my daughter always said, don't worry about that. Just walk, Mama. Just go on. Don't pay any attention. And I like her attitude because she doesn't stress over very much. And it's not because she hasn't. I don't know what happened away from home when she was in college. But her life, she's a happy girl. And that's what we want for our children, to be happy. And her dad was just, uh, we named her Jolie for him, and I named her Lawan for me. Because my entire name is Margaret Lawana Jean Pearson Wright. And his name is Joe Ezra Wright. So he wanted a baby girl and he wanted her to be named Jolie. And I said, fine, she can be named Jolie, but I'm gonna get a little bit of that too. So instead of the Lawana, we named her Jolie Lawan, right? And we asked her from time to time, do you like your name? She said, yeah, I like it. She said, she's really surprised, but she said, you know, there are only three Jolie Wrights in the United States. I thought, wow, she really does like her name, <laughs> you know? Only three of y'all, huh? Mm -hmm. So maybe more, but she and she may have just been teasing us, you know, old parents. You know, my old parents will believe me if I tell them I really love my name. But um, that's what you do. You you um, work together. He, when I was playing nights, wherever I was playing, he would come home. I would wave at him on my way to play, and he was on his way from work. We'd wave at each other, he'd pick her up, and I'm going to entertain somewhere in the evenings and then a little later on at night. And I've entertained in lots and lots of places. Can you um, remind us what, how old were you when you got married? 22. Okay, and so you started playing at the Driscoll was the first place you Oh, no, 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 no. No, that was not the first place. Um, they had a place called the University Club. And my grandpa was a real dear friend, Frank Irwin's wife. Mm -hmm. 
And my sister's principal was a member of the university club. And his name, the principal's name was Wayne Richards. And he told Liz, he said, you know, you and Margaret ought to come out and play. It's a, it was on 24th in Guadalupe at that time. And during football season, we would always go out and play on Saturdays and uh, Fridays and Saturday evenings prior to, you know, the games. And so we started playing there. And how old were you then? Oh, God, I don't remember. Uh, but it was in the 60s. It was maybe 66, 1966, started playing there. Maybe. I'm not certain about that because I, I really made a mistake by not documenting a lot of things. Keep me with dates and events and, you know, you just don't do that. You just go do it and come home, <laughs> you know. <laughs> go do your job and come home. That's what I, I would always do. But um, it probably was about 1966. And we played there, loved it. And then Liz and I played, she played the piano, I played the organ. And we did that for two hours, from six to eight. And then I can, I'm really not good at remembering a lot of the places, but there was a place, I started playing alone at the downtowner. It's now the La Quinta. It's on the corner of San Jacinto and East 11th Street. And there I played there. I Then we moved on to... Um, the first one was Holiday Inn, 19... No, no, before the Driscoll. Before the Driscoll, I played Holiday Inn. Okay, so that comes way down the line. But anyway, I started... I uh, can't remember, these are not going to be in order, but I've played at Egos, mm -hmm. Old Henry Back 40, Auntie Mames, that was on Red River, and it was so much fun. And there was a club on 4th Street before it became the way it is now, <laughs> and it was so busy wasn't anything. There were businesses on 4th Street, but I played at a 505 club there, and so, so many of these are non-existent now. Metropolitan Club was upstairs on the corner of 6th and Congress. Um, I played at Rusty's, Rainbow Cattle Company, Rain, Cedar Street, I started that one, that evening session. And I can't remember the year, that one either. But anyway, I played, of course, you know, at the Driscoll. I started that lobby bar in 1976. Yes, 76, and started out playing in the evenings, entertaining there. Now, this, I, I keep saying you're not in order, but I'm just trying to remember. I'll, many of the places that I've played. Um, Charlie's on La Vaca, best Wednesday night steak nights on the moon. So good, good food, wonderful. And um, Nick's, 
No, I didn't. Ernie Mae, my good friend Ernie Mae Miller. Yes, she was so sweet. She did the same. And Geneva Rollins. Mm -hmm. Rollins or Rocklins? Rollins. Um, she had Geneva and the Gentleman. She had a trio at the Crest, which is um, on the corner of Caesar's Chavez and Congress. It was called the Crest. And let's see, I'm, I'm forgetting some, I'm missing some, but that's okay, I'll, they'll come to me. Um, Bat Time, I played there, that was fun. Uh, and that's just, uh, not about time, but just Bat Time. And 505, I said that one, Cedar Street, Rain, Rusty's, Charlie's, Rainbow Cattle Company, Auntie Mame's, Fifth Street Station. That was a good one. And Walla Creek Plaza, a beautiful hotel. Beautiful, gorgeous place. And of course, you know about the Driscoll. And I played at the Austin Club, Westwood Country Club. <laughs> Austin Country Club, you just name it. I can just, I, and then I'm, I'm forgetting some, but. So you really did have oh, just a, a wide variety of audiences. Yeah, oh yeah, I did. And everybody, and I loved, I loved it because they wanted me to entertain them. And they were so fun, lots of fun. And we, I still communicate with a lot of them today. today. Um, and I played for many, many churches. It's like the, like the clubs and the hotels, I can hardly remember them all. But any and all religious aspects of, of, of church that matter to me. That's not important. What's important is I'm doing something to make people happy. And when I can no longer do that, what use am I, you know? So your, I'm gonna call it act. <laughs> that's good, um, that's good. Was it sometimes just piano playing in the background or was it oh, yes. always oh, yeah. singing? No, it's sometimes just a little bit. All we want you to do is some, you know, just do a little background music. Okay, that's good. And I've, oh, oh, Green Pastures also. I want to forget that. Um, but so, was singing not the majority of your jobs? Was it mostly just playing? The majority of my jobs, doing both. Um, and for weddings, you know, you do both. And for parties, you do both. But now when they only want background music, it's just maybe for, um, banquet type function that they were having upstairs as a Driscoll run upstairs Margaret and play a little music for this one and that one. Then you run back downstairs and play in the lobby. But, um, and how did I say Holiday Inn on the, on the river? Down by, well, okay, play there. And from there, that's when I went to the Driscoll. The food and beverage manager, the catering director, maybe, Nancy Huey, I remember her name so well because that's, we, when I went to the Driscoll, she transferred to the Driscoll. Come go with me, Margaret. I said, okay. And I 
had no, I always say, <laughs> I always say yes if I can do something. I say, okay. Um, and I did. And that's how we started to lobby bar at the Driscoll. So you, the, when you say you started it, you mean you started it? I actually did. Ernie Mae Miller played there as well, but she played in the lower lobby area. But that was before my time there. When we went there, there was a spitted piano covered with a tablecloth because Nancy had asked me to come, and I did. And I didn't know, I thought she wanted me to go to a, upstairs to a banquet. She said, no. The guy that was working the desk was named Robert Garza. And he said, oh, there's your piano over there. And I looked over there, and it was a little spinet piano covered with a white tablecloth. And a friend that would always come to see me at downtown, Jerry Nadell, pulled a chair from the bar, and he would always sing Ghost Riders in the Sky. So as the people would come through the hotel for whatever reason, he was sitting there singing, you know, Ghost Riders in the Sky, and he had a very interesting voice, <laughs> very interesting. And we just kept doing it, you know, we played and played and played, and, and it took off from there. And how long were you in the, at the Driscoll? Oh my gosh, I started in 76, and I was there until the 90s. So you must have met some famous people coming through there. Yes, I did. Had some very good times there, met some wonderful people. And that was way before all the, the Four Seasons was there. Stephen F. Austin was across the street. Um, and we were at the Driscoll. And maybe, I'm not sure what other hotel was downtown then. I'm really not certain. The Hilton was out there, you know, and uh, but, uh, the Driscoll was the place because all the big bands that came to town, all the entertainers stayed there. Mm -hmm. And I, Tom T. Hall and Tanya Tucker and J.R. Ewan, and all, we saw them a lot. We saw a lot. A lot of interesting people. And so, did you have an agent or you? Oh, no, no, no. no, no. I never deal with agents. I don't, no. And the reason being, I never had one, you know, so I just, I don't need, need a mail, you know. They just know if they want me to come, I'll, I'll go, but I don't know. I don't even know if they had them back then. <laughs> you know, you just, you just go. They would call and I did that, but I, the, all of this, you know, a lot of this stuff is new to me. You know, having a manager, and I don't have a manager, I don't have an agent, I don't have any of that. It's just mockery. Me and Jesus, we go together, <laughs> hand in hand. Yes. How did Sisterhood play a role in your friendship with Ernie Mae Miller and other African-American women? Oh, well, see, I knew her before. I knew her before. Long, yeah, we knew her. I met her husband at the downtown because she, he was um, an employee at the post office. The post office. And he would come up there when she was playing at the New Orleans Club. And the only time he would come up to the downtown was on Friday and Saturday. He would come up there and enjoy himself and wait for her to get off. And then he'd pick her up and they'd go home together. 
And then my husband did the same. He was taking care of the baby at night. And then he would come on Fridays and Saturdays. We, you know, the, that's just the way we worked it. So did you ever feel like women of the African-American jazz scene, do you feel like you ever experienced racism? And if you did, how did you handle it? Well, I'm, I always had somebody that, uh, I remember one incident at the Dan Tanner, uh, and I didn't know anything about it. They handled that. They were very protective of me. And they had some pretty tough ladies <laughs> that worked. Waitresses and bartenders, ladies, all ladies. And long after that incident, one of the ladies told me, she said, you know, after I spoke to this gentleman about the, uh, whatever that conversation was, y'all sure did to become chummy. <laughs> and I thought, what did he say? She said, not important. But we became friends, I guess, you know. And um, I, I didn't know anything about it. Uh, so, and the same thing in school. There was only one incident in Walnut Creek where one mother didn't want her little girl in my room, and the principal came around and told me to go get her books and bring them to him. And I did. And I said, he said, just go get the books and bring them to me. He said, we don't practice that here. You can't have, if she's in Mrs. Wright's room and she's happy, she likes it. We need to let her stay. But if you want to take her out, we'll do that. And that's what he did. He said, I, mean, I can't start that practice. And the little girl, I said, you're going to leave? We were eating lunch together, you know, that's when we ate together with our, with our kids. And I said, why are you leaving? She said, Mr. Wright, I really like you, but I have to go to another school. I said, well, you'll be all right. You know, and just brush it up, you know. Um, but you do, if you hold in, your mind gets overcrowded with a lot of that ugliness. And you don't have room for new things, good information, information that will help me. Um, it will help me improve who I am and help me reflect a more positive attitude. And just kind of, I. I you don't ignore it, you know it's there. And it, like I said, it will probably always be. But it's how you handle it. And you keep your hands to yourself, you know. You, you don't do that now, you know. I can't do anything about the words that come out of people's mouths, but just let's keep our space, you know. Do you feel like- That racism is ugly, it's very ugly. And I don't care who it's against, it's ugly. It's even, yeah, I, I don't even, plants, I just hate mustard greens. You know, <laughs> that's just, don't eat them. That's not look at it like, but if you don't like mustard greens, don't eat them. If you don't like oranges, don't eat them. If you like apples, eat it, you know, but that's, to me, it's such, it's so, it's such a waste of energy. Like I said, I keep my hands to myself, all the keys. Uh, when you touch the children, touch them in an area, uh, a manner that is 
not threatening. Because that, and people can, you can tell I'm real sensitive about the way I see things and the way I see people. I'm ultra sensitive to that. And I look at you and then I look away and then I may look at you again and then I'm through with you. <laughs> I'm done. I don't have time to fool with that. So if you had three words to describe your life at the age of 76, what would those three words be? Interesting would be one. Strange and odd and different and difficult <laughs> from a child. But it's been fun. I've had, I've had a good life. I have some regrets. If I had some things to do over again, I would do them differently. Of course, you know, we all have some stuff. We, but we, you know, Satchel Page made a statement. He said, you can't keep looking back. Some people are gaining on you. You know, you look back at all that, and usually when we look back, we're not looking back at the good things, we're looking back at the ugly stuff, and that's when you are being overtaken by that evilness. So you look forward, you keep pushing forward, you keep going, keep that cane in your hand, you keep on going, you'll get rid of it after a while, you know? But you keep it close at hand. So I try to keep my thoughts as positive as I can and empty the ugly as much as I can. It's there, because you know that kind of stays with you. Um, abuse, no. Verbal, physical, no kind, no place. I just don't do, I, I just don't tolerate, I just don't do it. Mm. That's, that's, that's something that I do not deal with. No, I just can't, I can't, it, that really gets me stirred up internally, and that's not healthy. Those beans and greens and all that other stuff, at the window, you know, compared to abuse, I need to let those good foods keep me healthy and not it's poisoned my system with all the ugliness. So the things that are going on today, all we have to do is just sit back and relax and be patient, you know, keep our hands to ourselves and just let it work itself. It's going to be okay. And of course, those that know how to fix it will. And we support and agree, or uh, we don't have to agree, but we still have to have respect. And when you're taking care of a classroom of children, a club of people, a church congregation, uh, whatever it is, you need to take care of them in the best manner you know how. You treat them like you would want to be treated. And when you don't, that means you don't have very much caring about yourself. And I can't think of how many ways to describe uh, the nice things you could do for people, the good things, the helpful, 
the worthwhile things you can do compared to all of the things that make people struggle. Don't do that. That's taking advantage of. And that too is very closely associated with hate, categorizing and classifying. Internally, who knows the difference? If we couldn't see, we wouldn't know the difference. So fortunately, we can all speak and see, the four of us here can see each other. But that doesn't mean just because you have on, what color is it? Like a light aqua? I just hate that color. How silly is that? Doesn't make any sense. That's your sweater, you like it. It looks good on you, and fine. You don't have to like my hair either. You know, it's just that simple. It can be, life can be pretty good for most people if it weren't for people messing up, tending to somebody else's business, just let them, let them be. Sammy Davis Jr. saying, I gotta be me. I gotta be me. I gotta be who I am. And that's who I am. I'm Margaret Luana Jane Pearson Wright. And I'm, I'm very proud and grateful and extremely thankful for my life. And it hasn't, of course it hasn't been totally, nobody's life is totally beautiful and wonderful and I don't, rich and all that. We're not, meant, we're not put here for that. We're not supposed to. You know, we used to sing that song, you better do all the good you can and all the ways you can. Do right by your fellow men because you'll never come this way again. You do unto others as you have them do unto you. And see those songs, we sang them at church and little children, we used to laugh. <laughs> you know, we'd laugh at those songs. But today, oh brother, think as you go. You'll never pass this way no more. You t better do all the good you can in all the ways you can. Do right by your fellow men. It didn't say color. <laughs> they say, hi, wait, do right by your fellow men because you'll never pass this way again. So you be careful who you step over, you know. You don't have to deal with them, but you need to be respectful of people. So my music has really been encouraging to me, inspiring to me, and I'm thrilled and so thankful that it has created some joy in lives, because I think it has. And if, you know, if I missed a few along the way, you know, well, it, it, it's always a lot of entertainers in whatever way they, they entertain that can make them happy. See, it's a lot of good musicians, a, a lot of great musicians. So I'm so proud to be a part of the musical scene in Austin, Texas, way before it was popular. You know? So I was, I've been up a lot of nights pretty late, but I was having fun. You know, I was doing that, I wasn't doing anything illegal, anything wrong, nothing hurtful, 
just having fun. And, and I'm still was having while, fun. This was while you were bringing joy to children yes. during the day. Yes. And then joy to adults Teacher. at night. Yeah, sometimes I from school, I'd go to school and pick Jolie up and give her a little snack. And she would go over to Miss Hazel Highsaw's of my grandmother's, and she would, Miss, Mrs. Highsaw kept her from infancy until she went to kindergarten, pre-K, rather, nursery school, they called it back then. And then she would stay over to grandmother's sometimes after school, and then Joe would pick her up, and we, like that was when I said we'd wait with each other. He could go in to pick her up, and now I'm gonna wait to play. And um, that was how that worked, you know. I was going from school, check on her, give her a little snack, comb my hair, and she was she was good with that, you know, because she liked being with her daddy. She was with him all the time. So, and they I mean, they still get her there just thick as thieves right today. So. Um, so when she was a little girl, you were living where? I lived at 1602 Elmira Road, two blocks from where I now live, in Austin, Texas. And then you lived there until you built the house where right. you live now? Mm -hmm. And y'all built, you family built that home? No, no. No, my, just, um, my, 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 just my husband and I built that home moved from Elmira to Walrose. Mm -hmm. So we just keep moving, we just keep moving, we just keep moving. We stay in one until oh, for about 10 years and then we built this one and it's been 40 years and now we're going to go with Jolie and stay with her and to find the place for the three of us. Did you ever how to, or did you teach yourself how to read music? Well, no, I didn't. My sister helped me learn to read music. And um, she helped me memorize it enough to <clears throat> make it at music on Saturdays. But I was, that's when I was told, don't you play, you sing. <laughs> because I was kind of jazzing up a little bit. And that ain't the way it's supposed to go. Did you sing a lot around the house when you were a little girl? Yes, for my grandpa, when he'd oh. come home, he, um, Pops would come home on Saturdays early. And he would always, and he was so encouraging. And he knew I wanted to play the piano. And my mom and grandmother always cooked together in the kitchen. And he would sit down and he'd say, play Popsy a concert, because he never wanted me to feel neglected. So I did, and I would just sit there and kind of bang and scream, and he said, oh, that sounds so good. While he was in, in drinking the gin and tonic. He, he, he took gin and tonic to tolerate what I was doing, you know? But <laughs> he loved it, you know? That's why I said we like stand with him, because he let us have a sip of his whiskey. <laughs> so that was an early nightclub setting. You yeah, that, that's the you <laughs> Wonderful. He was my first guest. He would sit there, you know, and this, and I loved it, because I perhaps would have put a little, little squeeze lemon in there and tonic and drink. 
And poor thing, by the time I got through, I guess he was so tired, so <laughs> relaxed, he was just ready for bed. But he was always home on early on Saturday evenings and Sundays, so. What would be one of your grandmother's, or do you have a favorite hymn that your grandmother might have sung around the house? <coughs> no, my grandmother didn't have a very good voice. Or your mother? My mother sang, but they didn't sing a lot around the house, they didn't. They were busy. They, I mean, they were in the, in, you know, in the yard, in the garden, doing laundry, hanging up clothes, putting them on the line. She wouldn't let us handle the clothes washing and putting them on the line, but she let us take them off the line and let us fold the towels and things. But, you know, she did it all, pretty much. She let us have a little bit, but she did, no. She, so what would be one of your favorites? Um, you know, it's kind of hard to single out one single hymn that I like. By one of my very favorite gospel songs is The Lord Will Make a Way Somehow. That is my ultimate favorite. Because the verses are so meaningful to me. And I, I love all the hymns. The hymns are beautiful, especially the old ones. Um, the newer ones are pretty, but I like those where the old, old people would sit there and sing it and they have beautiful voices. No music, no, no instruments, just sing it because they had, had a hard week, but a productive week. It was hard, but it was productive. And they felt good about it. And their families were there. And we were always, like I said, we were always in church somewhere. Always doing something. And it's amazing how they progressed, you know. You just never knew. I would not have guessed. Like I said, it's reason you just can't look at people and think, hmm. Because it's amazing what you find out about them. Beautiful lives, beautiful stories, some hardships, some with a lot of heartaches, but in the end, there's still a lot of joy. So I have one that comes to mind that I like very much. Father, I stretch my hands to thee, no other help I know. If thou withdraw thyself from me, Oh, whether shall I go? What pain, what labor? And then this goes on, it's a story. But I have many more. And it's, um, and you see, you know, it's a lot of, I, I just, um, <laughs> my husband is funny. He's funny, he said, now where did you say you were going today? <laughs> you know, if whenever I go anywhere, he'll say, okay, now where are you going? Okay, where are you going? Where are you going to play tonight? He's got Thursday and Friday down. He is now 80 years old. And we married, um, like I said, in 1964. And he was in the Marines when we became engaged. And my mother made, no, no, no. You can't marry her until she finishes college because she may have to take care of her family. And that's what she always instilled in us. You get that education, girl. You, you, I, that's my job. I'm, I will educate my girls. 
And then if you want to get your degree in one hand and your marriage license in the other, go right ahead. I've done my work. That's another good song. I've done my work. I've sung my song. I've done some good. I've done some wrong. And I shall go where I belong because the Lord has willed it so. And you'd be surprised the people that love to hear those religious songs. And sometimes in the club, we get, we, it's church like they say, <laughs> my friend James Polk and Elias, uh, um, Elias had a church on Monday at the Continental Club. Because everybody goes on Sunday, they have it on Monday. <laughs> Did you <laughs> so, say the Continental Club? At the, yes, uh -huh. Elias. Uh, they are so sweet, those guys. Um, church on Monday. So, <clears throat> I've enjoyed, I've, I've, been, I've had a good time. How did you feel mm -hmm. when um, President Obama and his wife um, entered the White House? How did you feel in that moment? Oh, I felt wonderful. Why not? Why not? Just qualified, capable, fun, caring, kind, of course, no one person makes all the right decisions. Can't please everybody all the time. But you do the best you can. Respect. Mm -hmm. I think it's pretty cool. I mean, I think it was pretty cool. I think he is just cute as he can be. And I thought they had a lovely family. You know, he had two girls. And of course, that, that touched me, you know, two girls. And it kind of seemed like mama mother was kind of like my grandmother and but he was like my grandfather you know <laughs> kind of let those girls just be girls have fun enjoy that daddy but I thought it was super cool I mean I had a good feeling about it and um, it then I, I can't say oh it's time it's it, the time was just fine, and I, I think I just loved him. I thought it was wonderful. Did you ever think you would ever see that in your lifetime? No, I really didn't, and I didn't give it much thought to it because um, it it was meant to be because it did happen, and he survived it all. So. I think I was just very, very proud. I know I was so excited, you know, because I thought it was cute. Because they're young and they're, I like to see young people bring, that's, I like being with them, with young, you know, oh, well, that's the reason why I said I welcome all, anybody, everybody. And the, the younger the better, because I'm learning and you're helping me, you know. You're helping me laugh and, be happy, and they brought some fun there. You know, let the white ass rock and roll. You know, <laughs> let it be, and let it be some fun there. Of course, we know it's our place of seriousness and all that, but that doesn't mean you can't have some fun sometimes. You know, <laughs> why not? It, this place is serious, but I'm sure there's some fun times been had in here at some point. You know. So you just don't want to live in a 
tune. I'll be in a tune soon enough. <laughs> I do. I definitely don't want to have to live in one now while I'm semi-alive, you know, somewhat still active. I, I, I want to have some fun. So mm -hmm. for young people, for people in general, the aging process, the aging process, <laughs> how have you, have you been okay with the aging process as a woman? Well, it slips up on you. <laughs> when you're doing a lot of different things, like, I, it slipped upon me, really. You know, it kind of, you mean I can't reach way up there anymore? So that means, that's why they have those silver things for the, <laughs> the insurances have the, the silver, silver sneakers. Yeah, the, you can go in there and exercise because you need to keep this stuff moving. Mm -hmm. You really do, you really do. And I used to watch Senior Size on TV, Ruth with Miss Ruth. Senior size and on TV, she had an exercise segment program, and I thought hmm, that's for old people. And <laughs> I should have been doing it then. I'll tell her I may be in better shape today if I had been senior size and when I was fifty, but I wasn't. You know, I'm still running around <laughs> doing stuff. But the aging process, it's okay. You know, and I kind of enjoy sleeping a little later and going to bed when I get you know ready. Um, I, I like how talking. I have some friends who we stay up late and we watch movies on TV and stuff, and we say, uh, We can do that now. You know, we don't have to get up and go to school, we don't have to get up and go there. And so, uh, today was an early rising morning, so I told you, Okay, honey, you can't sleep till 11 o'clock today. You got to get up, you got to go. I have something to do, and that's when he'll do. Where'd you say you were going? <laughs> but um, our time is our time now. But I like to be surrounded with young people. It makes me happy because they want to be with me, and I want them with me, and I want to be with them. Do you do anything with um, children and reading anymore? Children. Reading. No, I don't do it. No, I really, I, I don't because... Uh, I'm uh, <clears throat> leaving that to the young people as well. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and because my idea, now, you know, because that's okay to have grandmother come in and tell you a story, you know, towards the night before Christmas, but they don't want to be bothered with me. <laughs> They're through with me, Miss Wright. You, you mean, you know, this, and then I go back and tell them about those days and stuff like that, and I think, I wouldn't want to hear that either if I was a child. So, no, we leave that to the young people. Yeah, I just stopped teaching part-time last year. So I've retired and gone back and retired and gone back. So that I've had an extensive teaching career. Were you at the Overton funeral? Richard Overton funeral? No. Did you ever get to meet him? I never did. My husband and I just drove past his house this past week. Wasn't that fun? He 112 years, and see how much fun he had? Do you think you, what have you lived to live to be? Oh, no. <laughs> not, I don't think I'll make it to that. Mm -mm. That's a long time off. You know, I'm 76. That's a good thing. How many years I got to go? I don't think this old, these need, this nigga. <laughs> Something's not going to last that long. 
I'd like to, but I'm, and he was still enjoying life. He was. And it was because he was surrounded by people. So to, for the record, Richard Overton was, what, the oldest man in the country? Or mm -hmm. The oldest, the oldest World Texas? War II um, mm -hmm. veteran. And he was still got living, oldest living, wasn't he the oldest he person? He was the oldest living World War II veteran. Okay. And that's all? I was he the oldest? <laughs> I mean, well, that's a, that, no, no, I don't mean. But the, well, he was African American. Yeah, but wasn't that something else to attached to? And that? he built his home. He built his home. He in nineteen fifty-four, I remember and he that. He lived in that home until he died. Mm -hmm. I think he was the oldest U.S. citizen. I think he was. That's he the reason was I said. Yeah, I think he was the oldest U.S. citizen. And but he sure had a good time. And that's the kind of life you want to live. You know what I mean? He had a good. He was sick a little bit, but it was, he was 112 years old. Yeah. And you can only, you know, you can only last so long. And we, we know it's um, the time, that time is coming, but while we are here, I'm gonna be, I would love to be like him and just live a good, fun life and be surrounded by people, people that care about me and those people really, loved him and I'm so proud that he had a chance to enjoy life for 112 years and so thankful for the people that cared for him they made everything comfortable for him you know that's pretty cool and I know they feel good about it. those angels you know they're all around us we got to be careful how we treat each other that's it. That's, that's just my theory. Be real careful. Don't do bad. They don't. No, no, no. That's not good. You. It's. It's always a way to handle any situation. If you just stop and think about it. Would I want that done to me? No. Would I be want? No, it's not good. Just don't do it. Be good. Be as good as you possibly can. And then you're in, to me, you're in making yourself a, you have more, it feels so good about yourself when you don't harbor all that other. You know, you do good things for people, do something for them. If it's nothing other than speaking, hello. Mark. That might make somebody feel really happy. Hi. And they may not say anything because they're surprised because nobody else stopped to speak to them. You know? Yeah. It's, there's so many ways to make people happy. Just good morning. So we have one more question. And I just want to commend you as a proponent of literacy as a librarian. Mm. And I just wanted to know, like, did you ever want to be a librarian? Like, no. No. I never did. I mean, it's an interesting, you, there's a lot, to me, there's too much knowledge you gotta have to be a librarian. You gotta know too much. I'm not gonna be still long enough to know that much, you know. You gotta really be dedicated and wanna be so many things. You gotta, oh, gosh. But in a sense, you kind of were a community librarian. I just want to say that. <laughs> you like it? Uh, yeah, well, yeah, I do. I do. 
but you know, there's so many, you know what I'm talking about when I say so much you gotta know? Yeah. You know, you gotta. Because I gotta know you. Well, no, 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 no I'm talking about with the books and yeah. all of the articles and the, all the stuff you do. You, and you, you gotta be able to answer a lot of questions and about different. Did you ever hear of the Blue Bonnet Award, the Caldecott Award? You remember, y'all remember when we used to read library books in elementary school mm -hmm. so we could get those awards? Mm -hmm. In elementary school, we strove for that. We wanted those awards. Blue Bonnet, Newberry, Caldecott, there were three or four of them. I may be forgetting one. But in the history books, well, I'm not only about that. But in this way, somewhere you can find out that information probably on the computer. But there are four awards, three or four awards that we always wanted to read. Uh, certain books were in each category. And this is elementary school. Oh, it was wonderful. Did we fun and Dick fun with Dick and Jane? You know, start out with Dick and Jane. Fun with Dick and Jane, next book. More fun with Dick and Jane, you know. You, you know. And um, I had a professor at UT when I was taking a, um, a course out for reading. Um, and he said, adding on, you know, to those words, that was the best way in the world for, te for children to learn to read, you know. Stop, stop now. <laughs> Stop now, stop now, and stop now, and look, <laughs> or you know, and go, you just, go and you just, somewhere and sit down and be quiet. <laughs> go look, go somewhere. That was one. They didn't tell me where. See, that was this mistake they made. <laughs> go somewhere, sit down and be quiet. Now I can find. I can. I can understand. <laughs> sit down. <laughs> And be quiet, but go somewhere. Where you want me to go? <laughs> My, and that's you're talking too much. Go somewhere, sit down, and be quiet. I heard that so much. And don't. <laughs> well, Margaret, I don't want to stop. <laughs> and I know you may need to go somewhere. Don't. <laughs> don't. Just don't. So I, I want to thank you today for been coming. Fun. I think you're one of the angels among us. <laughs> yes. Thank you for sharing everything you there, did today. There's some. Um, don't think so. <laughs> go well, somewhere and sit there to be what? <laughs> Couldn't be an angel. <laughs> Couldn't angels don't act like I did. <laughs> Well, thank you, and um, you'll be getting it. a bound copy of this to give um, to your daughter, so that'll be nice. Oh, Jody's going to laugh. She's going to like that. She laughs at me a lot. 